My name's Bryant, and like so many during the pandemic, I've been staying in and working from home. To pass the time and remain connected in a socially distanced world, I've been reaching out to people to see how they're holding up, what they're cooking or eating, and hear about anything else that's on their mind. Join us on What's Eating You. This week, we chat with Roxy, a friend who's gone from deepwater oil rigs to the Pacific Northwest, and darn near everywhere in between. In this episode, Rox takes us through how she came to be skipper of her own ship and the comfort of being firmly rooted before pandemic. Roxy, I'm glad to be talking to you, my friend, old friend, one of the few West Coast guests I've had. So welcome to What's Eating You. Yeah, thanks. I'm honored. And it's so wonderful to be talking to you too, Brent. Talking, seeing, obviously, people who listen to this later will not have the Zoom video, which is probably for the best, given my little sweaty it's today. definitely but. for the best on my side as well, yeah. <laughs> I should say it's nice that uh, you w- were available any time after, I want to say, you said 2.30 my time, and I was like, wow, what a <laughs> yeah. life. Yeah, it's funny. Um, we've had a couple of schedule changes uh, at my job recently, and... Um, some days it's just completely insane and there's no space for anything. And then uh, I saw this window and it was like, Wednesday, <laughs> let's do Wednesday. <laughs> I've learned to jump on it. Scheduling is always the hardest part for anything, really. So it's like. Yeah, I bet. Especially for your illustrious guests who I'm sure are doing amazing things. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. I mean, you know, people, I think the people need to know actually that you used to dominate the, the coastal seas. Is that right? You were. Uh, I like to think of it as the Gulf of Mexico. Um, Yeah. Um, But yeah, I used to work on oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, about somewhere anywhere between 100 to 150 miles off the coast of Louisiana, and then floating in about a mile and a half of water. So... And you would do this for weeks at a time? Like, this is crazy. I'm still always... We talk about this every time, I think, because I'm just... I'm always amazed by it. You were living on this thing for, like... yeah a a second right this wasn't like nine to five let me go home now it was yeah no definitely not nine to five definitely a very different schedule and it's interesting to me people are always um really fascinated by it I guess because it is just uh different (laughs) um it's definitely a different lifestyle Uh, but yeah we would uh, spend either two weeks offshore or three weeks offshore and then have you know either the two weeks or three weeks off um and that schedule I really liked. I did that for about six years and um, spent uh, time on, you know, I'd be based on a specific rig for a few years and then, you know, move to different roles and different rigs. And I really, I really, for that period of my life, like really loved that, that lifestyle and that job. Um, what was it about the like intensity? Cause you, like you said, it's on and off, right? On and off. And yep. did you like more of the on piece or the off? Piece? Totally. Um, I liked both and I liked the uh, balance that, that helped me that like forced me to, to get, um, you know, I have just the type of personality where I want to be all in with whatever I'm doing. Right. And, um, working offshore made it so that I could be all in for work, like really like all in just completely, literally living at work, like literally living there surrounded by it, where that becomes your whole world. And you can really like dive into these problems and like, you know, just focus, Uh, But then it also really allowed me on my two weeks off to be all in that living life. And um, man, what a luxury um, 
to be like working this super intense job, which I was proud of, right? And still am proud of, um, to have seen a lot of things that a lot of people will never get to see um, and worked around some really crazy pieces of equipment and types of environments that were uh, just insane in terms of schedule pressure or, um, you know, oh, we got to get the rig back online in 20 hours or we're going to hydrate every well in the field and that'll be hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, that kind of schedule pressure, um, which I actually really uh, enjoyed um, and like thrived and being like, okay, here's this near impossible thing. Let's make it happen. Um, so that was really great. And I think there's a whole piece around like the work, but you know, just to answer your actual question around like the schedule, um, you know, it was really cool to be able to be all in and then be all into life on the outside of that. Right. So, yeah. and for a year there, um, I actually didn't have a home at all. I, uh, would, you know, fly. So we would take a helicopter. So, you know, Homa, Louisiana is the, where the heliport is. And, uh, so, you know, I'd have my car there at the airport in New Orleans, drive about an hour and a half to Homa, Louisiana, which um, there's not like too much there. Rice fields and, you know, some homes and things like that. And then we'd stay overnight in a hotel. And then at like four o'clock in the morning, you go to the heliport, take a drug test, go through the uh, every time. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, then go through the metal detectors and then like see all your friends from work that that are on your shift the people uh, that you literally wind up spending like more time with than your friends and family wow um, they're all on your shift and you you know take the same helicopter out with them and take the same one back in so you see all your work buds and everybody's kind of catching up on what they did on their time off and uh you actually wait around for a while and then go into this little room and uh, see the same video that you had seen like hundreds of times uh about you know, helicopter safety and stuff. And we could all like recite um, that video by, by heart. You know? This is like a helicopter industry version of the Absolutely. Your, ex, nearest yeah. exit maybe behind you. Type yeah, the, of thing. The, the pitot tubes are hot, sharp, and easily broken. Um, I can, you know, I can uh, still remember like uh, certain lines fairly well. And yeah, then so you watch a little video and then um, they lead you out there in like this single file line and everybody's like all walking together into the helicopter and I remember uh, the first time I took the helicopter, I was like, oh, this is going to be so cool. Like, I'm, it's going to be like so freaking cool. And um, it's really beautiful. Like the first, uh, you know, few moments where you like take off and especially Louisiana with its like really unique coastline where there's just like sprinklings of land. It's not this like sharp land and then water. Louisiana is like sprinkles of land. So it's kind of interesting. So for the first few moments, you're like, wow, that's really beautiful. And then very quickly you fall asleep. <laughs> There's something about the uh, sound of the, the helicopter that um, just kind of like lulls you to sleep in the vibration. Um, so anyway, I thought it would be this like super badass thing and uh, probably wound up sleeping on like 90% of all helicopter rides. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so that's like getting out there. Uh, you know, you, you work the, the two weeks and all sorts of insane, crazy things happen. Um, and you're working with people that are like, so it, for me, uh, we're so incredibly different from me. And there's a whole, we could talk for like hours all about what that was like and like things that I really learned from them. Uh, but anyway, then two weeks later, you take that sa same helicopter back and get off um, at the heliport. And then I would 
get in my car, um, drive it to the New Orleans airport, put it in uh, long-term long-term parking there. And then for, for a year, I just would get on a plane and go wherever and got to do some really cool things that, uh, you know, having that kind of job really uh, was, you know, this gift to be able to do that stuff. So, yeah, it was great for that period of time. You know, I'd, I always, I always wondered when I was doing it, like it, this was literally a thought in my mind, like, is, will this be my life, you know, or is this going to be like this, like footnote in my life? Like, oh, there's this weird thing that I used to do. Um, and I really genuinely wondered that. And uh, now it seems like, um, you know, it'll be the footnote, but, or at least a chapter, I don't know the right way to yeah. put it. But yeah, I'm really glad I got to do that. I'm, I'm glad I don't have that schedule anymore. I was mm-hmm. definitely starting to feel the churn. You know, it, it is yeah. a constant churn. Yeah. You do, when you have your time off, uh, you are always, always kind of counting down the days. How many more days do I have left? And you try to like not think about it, but you can't right. not think about it. So yeah, so now I work at a slightly more normal schedule. Although still not completely normal, but <laughs> uh, it's a good gateway back to... Uh, more normal schedule yeah yeah well like you said you have a you have a real mailing address now not just a p.o box or I whatever do i have a real address and a real uh, house that i really live in not just a p.o box yeah and so that's uh, i always wondered this i don't know if we ever talked about this i always wondered why why the west coast if memory serves you're you're an east coast you're from are you from hoboken where are you yeah i'm from hoboken new jersey um love hoboken new jersey um love hudson county and um love new york shout out hudson county that's right shout out hudson county yeah so why the west coast and why seattle um so yeah this uh we talked a little bit about uh the the year that i didn't have a permanent address just the p.o box um and i guess you know some of the ways that that came about so um i actually almost got married before and came like pretty close and then probably like two months before the wedding, my fiance at the time was like, actually, I don't want to get married. And it was a surprise to me. And there's like all, more of a story there. But then the other piece to this story is that two days after that happened, my landlord at the time was also like, oh, by the way, uh, I'm selling the house and you have to be out by the end of the month. And so that's that's kind of one of the things that like sparked the whole like, well, I'm just going to put all my stuff in storage and travel around the world and not live anywhere in particular right now so that that's what started all that and then I put all my stuff in storage and then I started traveling around and the first trip that I took was um, this train trip you can buy an Amtrak pass for about 300 bucks and uh, you get to take Amtrak wherever you want for two weeks and I really genuinely, like, I didn't, I had, like, a vague plan for what I was going to do, but not, like, a really solid plan. And so, yeah, from New Orleans, right, we just talked about the whole, like, drive from home and get on the plane. So I flew from New Orleans to Chicago and got on the Amtrak there. That's a big hub, right? You can go to the whole world from there. Yeah, you can go to the whole Amtrak world from Chicago. And, um, yeah, jumped on the train there and then took, took the train west and um went through glacier and got off the train for in glacier went hiking for a few days um it was great i I still to this day have like a special place in my heart for glacier um jumped back on the same train you know a different day 
took it further west, hopped off in Spokane to see Alyssa, at, actually Alyssa Norris, who at the time was a uh, grad student, right? Yeah. Yeah. She was getting her PhD in uh, Pullman, Washington. And then, so yeah, saw her for like a day or two and then got back on the train, went to Seattle. And uh, I, you know, this, I only got off in Seattle because it was like a, where I was going to catch the train to go south and like just kind of finish this loop. Um, and I'd never been there. So I was like, oh, I'll check out Seattle for a few days. And it's weird. I, uh, I, I like still really vividly remember this moment where uh, I got off the train in Seattle and was just like, oh, I like it here. It was weird. Like, why? The train station is like not that nice, like whatever. Um, and then they have, you know, one of those luggage lock areas in the train station in Seattle. And I was like, oh, I'll, like keep my luggage here and um, go adventuring about like the city before I can get into my Airbnb. And literally that afternoon, I was just like this uh, feeling, this weird feeling where just like everything felt right. I don't know how to explain it. And Seattle still, I, I don't know if it's because it, like in some ways reminds me of the East Coast a little bit, like the brick and um, the buildings looking like in downtown Seattle, um, the older parts of downtown Seattle, feeling a lot like the brick and like the buildings buildings from Hoboken like I don't know maybe there, there is some similarity there that plus just how insanely beautiful it is here like the water mm. and the mountains and mm. I mean I am from New Jersey like I had never you know I, I'd never really seen that before where there's like this cool city and then just this beautiful water and these these mountains and yeah just had like a great afternoon I remember taking the ferry to Bainbridge and being like what is this magical world and then uh got to my Airbnb and I was staying in some little old German lady's basement. And uh, yeah, even that just like, just great experience. Um, just like really fun. And like, she was like, cool to talk to you. And um, I remember she lived, that was in like Queen Anne and had these like killer views of downtown Seattle. And I was just like, wow. What, like, like that whole, I think I only spent like two or three days in Seattle, but that whole trip, I was just like, what is this magical place? Everyone, um, it just clicked, huh? Yeah, and it's weird. So uh, yeah, I just had like a great few days. Um, got back on the train, went to San Francisco, saw Kelsey Fisher, who was living there at the time. Also a grad student, right? Uh, she was working. She was a lawyer um, at that point, working in Santa Rosa. Um, got back on the train and then went to Denver. And that's when a bunch of friends from Princeton like came and hung. Um, and then I went back to work you know i flew back to new orleans got back to the oil rig and but that that two-week period of time was this this epic train trip and i just remember having this feeling like wow seattle was so great um and as time was went the on beginning of your year that was the beginning of your that was the beginning of, your... of the year that was the first trip wow it was the very first trip and um then i had uh the the month after that um i went to tanzania and climbed mount kilimanjaro Casual. And then there were like a few other of these like epic style trips that came after that. But then after that, I was like, okay, you know, I've been traveling time to like start thinking about like where I might want to live. And um, it came down to like Denver and Seattle. And uh, I went to both and I went, uh, I knew going like, okay, like I, I went to Seattle when it was like sunny and nice. I should go see it in the rain. And 
what I remember about returning to Seattle was uh, it was one of the crazier um, hitches that the word hitch is what you use to describe like your two weeks offshore, right? <laughs> so it was one of the like cra crazier hitches that I had like ever had offshore. Um, by far, not the craziest, but at, up to that moment had been one of the crazier ones. And um, so crazy that I actually wound up staying later uh, than normal to like do a little bit of a, a handover with my alternate. And um, well, anyway, wound up getting in, into Seattle very late. It was like downpour, just like insanely raining, crazy cold. And I get to the uh, rental car place. And I, I literally remember thinking this, like, I'm not, I'm never moving here. <laughs> like, screw this place. <laughs> the opposite um, of the train trip. The opposite of the previous trip where I was just like, oh man, this is, I don't even know why I came out here again. Because I didn't really know anybody that lived there either. Mm. I knew two people, Matt and Joanne, um, a, couple, a couple that I met through Alyssa. Um, and I just remember like, oh, well, I'm just going to like sleep a lot and rest. And But as time went on, even though it was raining, I found myself just really enjoying that week. And um, even in the rain, just being like, wow, this place feels right. And so to get back to your original question, why Seattle? Um, I am like this super analytical person, like most of the time, an engineer, super linear, but like this was definitely like moving here was just this like leap of faith and like totally just, uh, yeah, just like going with a gut feel. Um, yeah. And it just felt right. And I'm really glad I did it. How many years now? Been I've owned the house for four years. And, oh, wow. Yeah. So probably, yeah, four and a half years I've been here in Seattle. Yeah. I'm loving it still. I do. I really love it here. I really do. Um, it's tough being away from uh, friends, like really good friends of mine from when I was younger. Um, and, you know, just being away from parents can, um, you know, make you feel like, oh man, here are these people that like literally did everything and like raised me and, and I'm so far away from them. Um, and especially now with um, the pandemic, like all of that's been like heightened, right? Um, yeah, but so there, there's pieces about it that are not like easy, uh, but I, I, I love it here. I really do. Like um, I live at the bottom of a hill, but when I walk up the hill, there are these like killer views of Puget Sound and the mountains. And um, when I like walk to the grocery store or wherever, you know, just doing normal things, I'll like walk up the hill, and, like turn and look out. I'm just like, wow, I, I still can't believe I live here. I, I really still can't. It's, uh, a bit of that, that first train station energy you had, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. If you vibe, you vibe, you know, don't ask yeah. any questions. Yeah. It just feels good. Yeah. And maybe like a few years after living here, uh, BP, uh, the company, the oil company I was working at before, um, wanted me to move to Houston. And that was um, a bit of a like, you know, I don't know what the right word, crossroads or like fork in the road or whatever. Um, and I still, when I, you know, do this little walks, there are often times where I'm like, thank God I didn't move to Houston. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I feel really good about, yeah, living here. And uh, I hope that that feeling never goes away. Like, oh man, I'm so lucky to live here. Yeah. Four or five years on. Yeah. I'm blown away by the fact, I mean, 
yeah, buying a house is not easy. It takes a lot, but people buy and sell all the time. You bought a boat, and that to me, I'm like, she's <laughs> she's really she's really in it now. So the boat, um, the boat was another like leap of faith kind of thing, and uh, that's actually the name of the boat. Uh, it's a leap of faith. <laughs> Because it was such a like, oh, well, here goes this uh, thing. Um, like, uh, I mean, I had never been on like a private boat until I was an adult, probably until I was like. Was it like a dream or something? I'm 30. curious where this come from. It, so it was never like this dream. I had never even um, really understood it as a thing that somebody <laughs> like myself could do. Uh, so like, where on earth did this come from? Uh, it ha- So maybe about... Yeah, two and a half years ago, there were a few like boat incidents that um, like popped up. So one was uh, Ali uh, had a bachelorette party and we rented a boat. And um, I I had this thing where like, I can't drink a lot in the sun. It gives me these like crazy migraines. So um, I was like, oh, I'll be the, the GD for the boat. Sure. At least until the sun goes and, down. Yeah, until the sun goes down. And I just had this like blast of driving the boat. Like I was just like, this is amazing. Like this feeling is just like so great. Hmm. Um, and really, so really enjoyed that experience. And then shortly after that, my sister got married and uh, they did um, a big party in Ohio where her husband is from and his family uh, on this river in Ohio had a boat. And again, I offered like, oh, I'll drive the boat. <laughs> and I just, again, it was, ha- I had this feeling where I'm just like, wow, it's just like, feels so good and I don't know why at all um but it just like feels so great and you know so it, anyway these two things that happened not too far after each other and then I you know go back offshore and I'm offshore just walking down the hallway and I see this flyer and there's this flyer posted up on the wall and there are these three guys who are um you know they're not uh regular offshore guys like they're not uh, on a shift, they're contract workers, like people that are coming and going. And the three of them are just standing there. And this one dude is just like, damn, that's a nice boat for that money. Damn, that's, I wish, like, that's a great, that's a great boat for that price. Damn. And I'm just like, okay. And so I like walk and I like, don't really think anything about it. And then I like, you know, I'm walking back to my office and I look at the flyer. I'm like, oh, it's like, that's really nice. On the rig? On the rig, yeah, it was people a flyer. Like people, people put flyers up on the rig? Oh, yeah. People put flyers up all the time because, uh, you know, you probably have um, – this is ultra-deep water, so you have about 100 people. Jeez. And it's just a way to be like, oh. And uh, most people, unlike me, uh, you know, would live in that general area, the general Gulf Coast area. So I see. you're trying to sell an RV or a gun or whatever. <laughs> so in two weeks when we're off our hitch, come yeah, see me Yeah, and then here. you would, like, go pick it up from, you know – Boudreaux's house in Mississippi or whatever and like an RV or like a um like AT four wheelers so this uh, this is wild of other things there's lots of raffles too people are always like raffling things uh, <laughs> to raise money wow um, lots of guns lots of guns were the raffle prize or this is like a school like a, it feels like a bake sale but it's a yeah kind of like a hyper masculine jacked up <laughs> bake sale yeah Mm-hmm. Um, but so this boat and I was like, oh, okay, like I'm looking at this fire and I'm like, that's a really nice looking boat. And it's not, it's not that like that much money. Like it's not, I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then I see, um, the guy's name, uh, Tony Rogers is the name of the guy. And I'm like, oh, I know Tony. Um, and he was, um, 
not somebody that I worked a ton with, like super directly, but he definitely was, you know, highly respected. Somebody that worked offshore on this particular rig often. Mm. Um, people really, he's just like a, you know, a, a definitely somebody of note really offshore. Stand up guy. Respected. Yeah, a good guy. I remember like just, you know, walking down the hallway, go to this meeting and I'm talking to some of my peers who, you know, the same people that we sit in this like same meeting with every day, you know, um, who we've all been through like crazy stuff with together. So like, we're pretty close. And I'm like, Hey guys, you see that flyer for that boat? And, um, they all like, like all of them collectively just go, Oh, that's Tony Rogers. That's a sweet <laughs> boat, man. Jesus. You gotta, you, you, are you interested in that boat? Like, man, you, that's a good boat. If I didn't just buy a boat, I'd be, I'd be buying that boat. And like, that's like the collective, uh, response that I got so it's like oh this is, this is interesting <laughs> and so and they're like oh you should just go talk to Tony and I'm like okay so I go up to Tony and I'm like hey Tony um I hear that you're selling your boat and I'm like I'm interested he's like oh you're interested yeah let's talk about it and um he's just yeah this great guy and I really just he talked through all the details with me and we you know kind of collectively thought through like okay I don't have a giant truck it probably doesn't make sense for me to buy a boat and a giant truck. Um, so we found a, he's like, you got to find a dry storage place uh, where they, you know, they, they pick it up with this giant forklift thing and like put it in a rack and then put it back in the water. And with that worked really well too, this dry storage concept. Cause uh, to me having, you know, in addition to just like having those two brief experiences and like really loving the feeling of driving the boat, the big appeal to me was like here in Seattle, we have Puget Sound. We have, like you can go for hundreds of miles and still be in protected waters where like, you know, a, a small boat can still safely go to these places. So it's like, wow, even this, you know, relatively small boat, I can like adventure to all these crazy places like the Hood Canal, all these islands, all these little inlets down south, um, the San Juan Islands up north, through the locks into Lake Union and Lake Washington. Um, and that to me was like the biggest appeal. And I remember, you know, constantly coming and going on these airplanes. And as you're like coming down, you just see all that water and like all these places you could adventure. And I'm just like, man, that's so cool. So I, so I knew I wanted to keep the boat in the sound, which is salt water instead of mm -hmm. on a lake. Mm -hmm. And that's why this, um, dry storage thing also really worked keeping the boat out of the salt water is obviously good for its um, health long term so anyway so uh talking with tony he like you know helped me think through a lot of things that i would want to think through and then he's like and i remember like i'd done a bunch of research and i go back to him and i'm like tony yeah i think i think this is something like i really want to look at i found a couple of different options for how this could work and um like I, I mentioned before, like I hadn't worked a ton with him like directly. And so he goes like, oh, well, you should come, you should come try the boat out. Like come next time you're on your way home, come stop by my house. We'll take the boat out to a lake in Texas. You could feel it out, make sure you like it. And he's like, do you like, are you, you married? Do you have like a husband or a boyfriend that like wants to come see the boat and like learn about the one? And I was like, no, Tony, I do have like a girlfriend. She might come and like see it. And he was like, oh, okay, that's cool that's cool. So, but, but he also just rolled with that too, um, which like, yeah, Tony's a great guy. And so anyway, yeah, that wound up happening. I wound up one hitch going in um, and stopping in Houston and we took the boat out and he, 
you know, helped me. That was really the first time that I, that was the first time I'd driven this boat. And again, probably like the third time I'd ever driven a boat in my life. Do you need a license to drive a boat? I'm now now curious. Yeah, there's lots of, so um, in some places, no. In, um, Washington, in Washington, especially on Puget Sound, you do need a uh, boater education safety card. So you take an online class, uh, which is quite informative. And, uh, you know, it's probably about, I don't know, 10 hours of oh, wow. taking this class. Yeah, okay. there's some stuff to learn. And uh, uh, then, you know, you take a quiz. And if you pass, you send them $10 and they send you this super cool uh, boater education safety card that you can keep in your wallet and impress your friends with. That's awesome. Yeah. I assume in Texas, none of that stuff was needed. So yeah, no, you didn't, you didn't need that in Texas on the lake. Um, and most, uh, a lot of States, you don't need that. Okay. Um, but yeah, so that was, uh, inside a blast. And, uh, I remember that day, which actually like coincided with my last day at BP. Oh, wow. Um, so that was also like really Boat day? funny. Yeah. So I went to his house, the, my last day at BP, was the day before boat on the lake day, but I still like went to Tony's house and like looked at the boat and I was like, had come, I came back the next day. So the, the first day I no longer worked at BP was the mm-hmm. day that we like took it out on the water. And I was like, yeah, I'm down, let's do it. And I went to a bank and like got him a check and gave him, gave it to him. And then there was this whole long process of how to figure out how to safely get it from Texas to here. How did that work? uh looking you know through the uh internet and you, trying to like it? you got a career yeah so I've, you, there are all sorts of people that want to drive your boat across the country and all different uh you know some people have their own trailer some people will drive your boat on a trailer just like haul it and then you know some are like flatbed trucks that they'll like put it up on the flatbed so um I wound up going with a company that would just haul the boat on its trailer. And uh, it's funny, what you do is you, you like basically shrink wrap, wrap the boat. You like get it like wrapped in this plastic. And it took me a while to find the right person just because there's so many like super shady, weird things on the internet, especially when it comes to this kind of transaction. But the so guy you, I you found- buy it on a flyer on a rig, I can see why. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, this having this guy haul it up, mm-hmm. this person I didn't know. Mm-hmm. But I am glad I spent a while. And um, I had also started working at a new job, Blue Origin. I was traveling a lot for work there too. So mm-hmm. like it, it took a while to like figure out the right time window to actually have the guy like haul it up so I could meet him right. in Tacoma, Washington, where the dry storage facility is. But I knew I made the right choice because when the guy met me there in Tacoma, like it's one of those moments where you meet someone and it's like, they're just, you know, they've really embraced that whatever you are, be a good one kind of outlook. Like he just wanted to tell me all about the drive and exactly how he planned the route and like, you know, all these different things. And uh, I could just tell he was like passionate about hauling boats across the country. <laughs> uh, and I, I don't know. He's just, he was also just a really great guy. Um, and then, the thing that happened next, so, the, you know, I, the boat had just made it all the way from Texas. This lake boat is now in Washington. And, uh, you know, the guy drives it over to the dry storage facility. And the, the dry storage company is like, oh, actually, our giant forklift thing won't fit under the trailer. So you're going to have to go launch the boat down the road and, you know, bring it up the, 
this like little inlet thing. Right. And I'm like, Oh God. Okay. So, um, launch the boat. It's winter though. It's like snowing. And so this is literally my, this is probably my fourth time ever driving a boat. <laughs> my second time driving this boat and I have to get gas and, um, it's now snowing. And I, it's funny. I, I think there, you know, when people make big decisions or these kind of like leap of faith type, this, this, you know, decisions or changes that they make there's always this always at least you know most of the time there's a period of time after that where you're like oh shit did I did I make a really big mistake and I remember driving that boat in the snow um and just like feeling really not confident in driving it and you'd never driven that route before right you'd never done that yeah no I I didn't know how to fuel a boat. I, there was so many things I didn't know. Oh my gosh. And uh, now I'm like by myself and this is the first time I'm ever by myself driving a boat. It's literally like snowing in my face. My glasses are like, there are snowflakes on my glasses. And um, oh my gosh. that was definitely one of those moments like, what have I done? What did I do? And there were several moments with the boat where I'm just like, <laughs> what? I, this this doesn't make any sense. Like, 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 I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but I'm definitely glad I stuck it out. Cause now, I mean, especially, um, this summer, I mean, last summer we had so much fun on it and this summer in particular because of the pandemic and, you know, feeling just kind of, uh, I don't know what the right word is trapped where we are or, you know, not having a lot of ways to like experience the world in different ways. Um, the boat has just been this amazing reprieve, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's one of the things that um, the boat's really helped me with is I'm used to being on the go and like traveling and being in different places all the time. And uh, I know I definitely like crave that feeling of like being someplace new and like experiencing different things. And as I kind of like shift the thing like what I want from my life and like wanting to like be in one place more and building roots here um with Julia and like you know just yeah really building roots and not like being on the go all the time the boat has helped me like get that experience of like mm-hmm. newness and adventure and like because that's what's wild about being on the water it doesn't matter if it's like a boat or a kayak like some because huh. I also have a kayak I'll <laughs> get in the kayak after work and I I, I remember you know so after work, after like working a, uh, a day and you have like work brain going on mm-hmm. and I'll like take the kayak down to the water and I'll like put one foot in the kayak and I'm still like got work brain. I'm still like thinking about work. But the second that you, this is like really weird. I don't know how to explain it. The second you take your second foot and lift it off of the ground and now you're like, your whole body's like floating in the water in your kayak, like instantly your brain is transformed. I don't know how to explain it. You're like someplace new. You're just like, okay, now I'm on the water. So there's that, that feeling of like, just, it's like an instant vacation or instant uh, changing of outlook or changing of feeling. Um, that's what I love about being on the water. And then plus with the boat, like there's all these places to explore and adventure. And um, I think it helps me without being far from home like satisfy that craving or need or whatever it is that I have to see different things. So, so yeah, from going from being like super unsure of myself and like really being like, what did I do? Um, 
with this purchase. Uh, now I I really love it, and it's uh, been a real source of joy. So glad I did it. You're the captain now. Jeez, that's wild. Captain, that's right. Yeah. Or uh, my favorite is when. Uh, so you'll you know we'll, we'll take it on trips. We'll go you know a couple of miles and then stay overnight and uh, you know go someplace else and. So we'll often do like day more at Jenna Marina and you have this little VHF radio and you call in to the Marina office and you're like, you know, Bainbridge Island Marina, this is the leap of faith. And they'll be like, go ahead, skipper. <laughs> but you, even all these like weird little boat isms and like learning all the rules and like, I really enjoyed like the, looking at the charts and like, you know, finding the right way to go and like planning it with like slack current or like whatever, you know, like all that stuff is like really fun oh, etiquette yeah yeah that's awesome well geez that's one way to spend your pandemic i should have yeah if i'd have um, known but this is like a lot of things like workout equipment or you know yeast all these things that you've, yeah. you should have grabbed probably before the pandemic and you'd be well set up it's probably harder to get that type of stuff now yeah it is really interesting um I, i've been thinking a lot about uh like friends of mine who live in new york versus like friends of mine from offshore, right, who live in the Gulf Coast area. Um, and just how like different in, in terms of like how they were set up to deal with something like this, like a lot of a lot of ways, my friends from offshore, you know, they already are super like self-sustained, right? They, yeah. they like grow their own food. They have cows. They are used to dealing with things on their own and they're so far away from other people. Um, and they have, they're used to like entertaining themselves and in a lot of ways, like their lives uh, maybe like weren't changed quite so much, but, mm. and then for, you know, those of us that live in cities, um, just really having things completely changed in terms of what we can do. Uh, it's really interesting just how perhaps like this particular way of life didn't set us up to be super resilient to this type of thing. And I love um, a lot of the things that I learned from my friends from offshore and, you know, maybe that's one thing that we're all like kind of learning now is like, Hey, it, it is good to have shared resources and like living in a city and like being around others, but maybe there is something to be said for also like having a little bit of space here and there, like making a space. Um, and not just physically either. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that's right. I think that's been my, constant takeaway is that in a lot of ways this reframing has been has been a way to sort of like foreground what's important right like what's yeah. what matters what what's what lasts what endures what's meaningful mm -hmm. when like you said in this cycle or in this other mode we were always filling with something and now that stuff has been paused and so we you know some people have dealt with it differently some people have really struggled with the silence but others have appreciated it Totally. Yeah, I really like that analogy. And now I'm thinking about uh, our conversation earlier, just even about uh, sound. And like, yeah, you could see it as like, like all of a sudden, all this like background sound, just like, oh, yeah, kind of going down. And oh, yeah. yeah, I know, for me, um, I, even at the new job now, I still travel quite often, right, for the new job. And uh, when the pandemic first started, uh, all of the travel stopped. And that was the, the first time it had been like seven or eight years since I had been in the same time zone for more than two weeks. And like all of a sudden, then 
than having these like months at home. Um, yeah, it's definitely changed the way I feel about like the physical space of my house. Um, and I think also quieted that like feeling of needing to go, you know, I definitely feel a lot in the beginning. I was like antsy. Um, but I feel like now I, I feel great being home. Um, it feels nice to not have to be constantly traveling. Yeah. It's funny how stuff can change like that. Yeah. Well, who knows how long it will be before things change back or change again. Yeah. It'll be interesting to, I, I like what you said around like really like brings things that are important forward. And I, I hope that some of that, like that reminder of what's important, like lasts, but we'll see. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of moments. Humankind has a short memory in all kinds of ways. And yeah, the words like phrases like the new normal and business as usual and all these types of things are, we'll, we'll see what wins out. Yeah, definitely. What are you hoping that you'll, you know, bring with you going forward? Good question. I don't know. I think some things like flexibility about like when and what you have to do, right? Like what is really required and what do we need to yeah. do and the ways in which we put our jobs. I, you know, I think I don't have kids, but I know people with kids have had a very different experience through this pandemic yeah. with really the childcare replacement and you know, their needs and stimulation and, you know, appreciation. I think, you know, appreciating what's essential, right? Like the fact that yeah. people who are at the grocery store, toilet paper, right? These things that you need, like, well, they don't just, they don't just magically appear there, right? Like somebody yeah. is doing it's it. Somebody's the, job. Yeah. Exactly. The, you know, the people who are at risk, you know, helping, helping us meet our needs and keeping society advancing. And um, at the same time, also like, you know, then recontextualizing what, what we're doing and what's important, right? Is it, and what do you spend the time and, and energy doing? Is it, you know, values based? I think as you've seen the summer, you know, people thinking a lot about, you know, even the, the values of, of equity and inclusion yeah. and, you know, and understanding difference and other people, and then not even just understanding it. Cause I think at, at one end, obviously I think most people realize it's wrong to be racist. Right. <laughs> but you know, the, the sort of, how has this happened is that there's been a long space of kind of like, yeah, it's not indifference of, silence or, or un lack of awareness around these things. And that's, you know, to a certain extent, I think people, you know, we realize we need to be more proactive and positively, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hope the noise doesn't come back to drown something out as important as that. And yeah, I think, I hope that that, you know, you talked earlier about like the important things coming forward. Hopefully I, I think that that is one of the important things that came forward and became clearer when the noise kind of like died out from day-to-day -day life when the pandemic hit and i hope that that is something that we can kind of continue to really have a like intense dialogue about i worry that even already we're seeing some of the like noise of other things come in and like distract us away from that yeah exactly so it's about you know i think the other thing again it took a pandemic to force most to do this and i think it's gonna but it's gonna take internal motivation to really continue to do the things that connect us right it's going to take yeah. internal motivation for me to continue to try to talk to my friends and you know reach out to them and do these types of things and take internal yeah. motivation for people to continue to read and learn and you know gain understanding it's take internal motivation for us to 
vote and be active in our communities. Yeah. And those are things that for a long time we've had the luxury of not worrying about. Yeah. Just like, what are we, what are we doing Friday night? Exactly. What are you doing? Yeah. Um, and now that the answer is, well, not that much. Um, yeah. This has not happened yet. Occasionally people give very short shrift to what they're cooking and eating, but I haven't asked you anything about this. So yeah. I want to I just hear what you've been on the boat or off the boat, Skipper, what you've been, uh, ah. what you've been enjoying in pandemic. Yeah, man. Um, I tend this summer, a lot of grilling. Mm. Um, we definitely love grilling, love, um, grilling fish, different mm. types of fish. It's gotta um, be good out there, right? It is. Yeah. Um, there's a, a fish store just kind of down the block a bit that, um, they also serve food there. It's like one of these, um, which is, I, I think that's my favorite style of food is like casual, but really fresh and delicious mm. seafood. Um, that's, I just love, like if it's served in a basket with like that red and white checkered paper at the bottom, but it's like, like fresh caught halibut or something like, like, but served in a basket like that, that I'm probably going to love that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so this is a kind of place that serves, uh, food like that. And they also will sell, um, it's a market as well. It's a market as well. And you can go in and like pick it out like an old school um, Mm -hmm. fish market that I remember from Hoboken. Right. The fish is on ice and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's kind of like still staring at you a little bit. Like, so we'll go there and, um, you know, pick up some, uh, you know, salmon or halibut or whatever and uh, grill that. That's been really fun uh, for the summer. Now that it's like getting a little cooler, it's starting to be like stew time again. Um, so made some uh, just like, ra- you know, like random like chickpeas or, you know, chickpea stew or um, there's a really cool uh, chicken chili that I really like making. It's like starting to, to you know that kind of weather again crock pot style or do you go do you build the flavors crock in a pot? i love i love the crock pot um i love that it like makes the house smell delicious all day mm-hmm. and it's that kind of um like you do it in the morning you're just kind of like assembling stuff and then you know your house starts smelling like better and better as the day goes on it also like builds this like suspense like oh man i can't wait to yeah. get that <laughs> how good is that kind of day yeah yeah so i love that especially now that you know um it's fall over Most there, the I guess. time I'm working for home. Yeah, yeah. It is fall. It is really starting to be fall. It's still um, in like, uh, you know, the 60s uh, right now, 60s, 70s, which is like by and large summer weather for Seattle. Um, and it's still pretty sunny too. Uh, but yeah, it's like starting to feel a little crisp here. And we've I've actually started uh, traveling a bit for work again. Oh, good. So, You're back on it. Yeah. So back um, traveling, we I go to... Uh, the middle of nowhere, it's uh, Van Horn, Texas, which is in the Chihuahua deserts, uh, you know, far away from the closest city is El Paso. And that's like just about two hours away. Wow. Smell of nowhere because it's a very small town, um, Blue Origin. And I, I, I think it's great. They've told us like, hey, we don't want to be bringing COVID to this very small town that has like no medical infrastructure. Right. So they really don't want us like eating out or going out. So the um, protocol now is you like fly into El Paso, buy a bunch of groceries and then go like live in a hotel in the Chihuahua desert um, for as long as, you know, we're there. Um, And so I, I, when you think, when you, when you ask me what I'm eating, I'm like, Oh, a lot of like 
random things that I can make in a hotel microwave, (laughs) 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 which is awful. But then when I come home, uh, and this is all fresh on my mind because I was just away for a couple weeks. Oh, wow. I just got home a few days ago. And literally since I've been home, everything that I eat, I'm just like, this is the most delicious thing I've ever had in my life. (laughs) So I just made this like pretty basic uh, chickpea stew thing. And I'm just like, wow, this is so delicious. Um, well, no matter what, I'm glad we got to talk. So even if it's lost for posterity, I feel like this was fantastic and fun. So. Likewise. Thanks, Rox. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest, Rox, for taking the time to encourage us to make our own leap of faith. The pod will be back in a couple of weeks. We'll talk soon.